Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. I pray you and your families are doing well in this difficult time. I pray for our frontline workers and for everyone facing economic hardship right now. What a mess. I hope you're able to find some peace in our Lord and that Veritas is able to help you too. There is a lot going on right now, but may I ask you to please consider making a gift to help Veritas continue bringing Catholic programming to you? You can help at www.veritascatholic.com. Thank you so much. On today's episode of Let Me Be Frank, we're sticking with the early days of the church and Bishop Caggiano will dive into the life and writings of the great apostle, St. Paul. Let Me Be Frank is sponsored each week by the Knights of Columbus Museum. Though the museum is closed temporarily, listeners are invited to take part in the museum's online webinars. Visit online at kofcmuseum.org or follow on social media for details. Hey everybody, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. It is my great pleasure to introduce the excellent Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency? Steve? Steve, you're very kind. It's great to be with you. And I'm excited about the man we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Today, uh, we're looking at the greatest Christian missionary and probably one of the pivotal figures in Western civilization. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's Mm -hmm. St. Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellency, as we we think about the man and his life, where should we start? Mm -hmm. Do we start with... Saul of Tarsus? Absolutely. Okay. It's, again, I'm fascinated with Paul. And as you say, he's a pivotal figure in the history of the church. And um, quite frankly, I don't think we could appreciate his greatness unless we understand his life, right? Because we all are formed by our experiences. And because we read the scriptures at Mass in almost little snippets, sometimes we miss the bigger picture, right? So I would suggest let's talk a little bit about his life. I'm curious to see what what characteristics pop out to you. I have a couple of my own in my head. And then we could talk about his journeys and then some of what he wrote, right? And and how that's affected the life and, and the theology of the church. But so allow me to start, right? Paul was born roughly um, at the beginning of the Christian era. Scholars are not exactly sure when, you know, around 5 AD in West. He died roughly late 60s. So he lived to be like in his mid-60s to 70 years old. And from what we know from the scriptures, he was from Tarsus. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was called Saul. He was also called Paul. Now, remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. So there was a a long tradition of being named after Saul, even with his flaws. Um, But some scholars say, well, was Paul the name he took after his conversion? And of course, like everything else, there's debate. But the truth is, a significant fact in Paul's life was that he was a Roman citizen, which was a privilege not accorded to many, and those who had it oftentimes bought it at a great price. It was pivotal in his death, actually. So Saul in Hebrew would have been Latinized into Paul. So whether or not his name changed in conversion, he was known by both names, Saul and Paul. And he was a devout Jew, without a doubt. He was not a rabbi, but he was a Pharisee. And we know about the Pharisees in scripture, right? We've heard a lot about them. And he was trained by a rabbi called Gamaliel, who is one of the most famous rabbis of the time of Jesus and very strict in his observance of the law. And the interesting thing is, there's a phrase in scripture that says, uh, in Paul's own words, I am a Pharisee born of Pharisees. So we could intuit that he came from a family that was devout and could have extended for a very long period of time, right? In In their observance of the law. And we know he earned a living by involved with leather. He was a tent maker 
which in the nomadic tribes, that would have been really like important. <laughs> I mean, it's their version of Ford Motor, right? Or General Motors. You needed a tent to be able to, to do what you had to do. So right. they probably had steady work. And just two other things, if I may. First, he spoke Hebrew, but he also spoke Greek, which would have factored really in a large way in his life when he turned to the Gentiles because his ministry was to Greek-speaking Jews who had converted to Christianity. And the other interesting thing, I think, is that he's considered among the apostles, but he was not one to walk with Jesus in his life, just the opposite. But in the Roman canon, we say, and we pray for Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Matthew, Simon, Jude. Of course, we don't count Judas. So he's named right by Peter, although he's an apostle by extension, not necessarily because he walked with the earthly Jesus, right? So he's, he's a fascinating man, don't you think? Yeah. 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 Tremendous. His prominence, you can and see it in all the churches, too, in Rome. When you go to all the major basilicas, it's... Big statue of Peter, big statue of St. Paul. Right. And you know what I did know, you know, preparing for our conversation today, I did not realize, or if I had, I had forgotten, that only in the last 10 years have they authenticated finding the tomb of St. Paul, his sarcophagus, and his remains. Oh, wow. It was Pope Benedict who declared them to be authentic in 2009. I did not know that. Wow, and th uh, those would be in I Rome? I did, I've forgotten it. Oh. Yeah, right. Not far from Paul outside the walls. Fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. All right, so the other part of his life, when he interacts with Christians, it was not a happy combination, right? Yes. Because uh, at Mass we've been hearing about St. Stephen, and Paul, from far away, uh, concurred in the killing of St. Stephen, the first martyr, because he wanted to persecute being a devout Pharisee, this cult, the, this crazy group of people who going around saying that this Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it would have been an affront. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't even begin to describe it. It must have boiled this man's blood. And he certainly did everything he could to persecute them. Right. In part because they rejected the temple. They rejected all that, that Judaism had evolved into. And quite frankly, to think that the Messiah would have been crucified and not be the victorious liberator of Israel would have been just unthinkable. Unthinkable. So, the conversion story. Okay. So, see, from your perspective recount the, the conversion story, would you? Yes, sure. So he was, uh, he was traveling on a road. I can't remember where, where he was, but he was, um, and he was on to horseback. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, uh, he gets knocked off his horse by, was it by the voice of Christ? Yes. And the, the, the Lord appeared to him and said, soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, well, basically, a colloquial. Who are you? Right. I am the Jesus. I am the Jesus that you're persecuting. So, a key moment in his whole life. The key moment. Because in Paul's mind, that was the moment that this devout Jew, seeing the world in one way, was given sight of a whole new thing. A whole new way. Yes. This was the moment when in his own mind, he understood himself to be in the apostolic tradition because the risen Lord appeared to him. And you remember he was, he was, he was not only knocked off his horse, which is beautiful and artistic, I mean, there's lots of, but he was struck blind. Yes. For three days, parallel, and three nights. And was blind, went to Ananias in Damascus. And he did not eat or drink for three days, mm. scripture says. So it was almost like his own entombment 
right? And then he was healed and saw it was baptized and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest is what we know about this man, Paul. Okay. So I think to myself, what a remarkable encounter. A man who was trained his whole life to be faithful to the law, to the temple, who came from a tradition of generations conceivably of that faithfulness, who was persecuting all of these people and now found himself in between two worlds. Because on one hand, he was going to say to those who were observant, you got it wrong, people, right? Let me proclaim to you the charisma. It's all about the charisma. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That is the heart of St. Paul's message. So all his former friends, relatives, co-workers, they would have said, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and the Christians would have said, are we gonna trust this guy? You gotta be kidding. Is this not just infiltration? Is this not guerrilla warfare? Is this not, you know, coming in to like expose us all and kill us all? I mean, so could you imagine that moment? He was basically, literally between two worlds and yet he was faithful. Yeah. Now who of us would do that? I mean, I would, I would love to flatter myself and think I would. I'm not sure. I will, he did. Because the same fire that burned in his heart was now totally burning on fire for the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Right? And think of what that meant, okay? For the Jew, faithful, who will not utter the name of God, now suddenly Paul sees in Jesus his beloved son. He calls him Lord and Messiah and the Son of God. Talk about an earthquake. And his life proved that he was willing to suffer unto death for this Christ. And the litany of everything this poor man endured, beating, shipwrecks, thrown out of windows, uh, into baskets, beaten with rods, beaten with stones. Yeah. <laughs> Imprisoned. Uh, imprisoned. Um, yeah. so, so these are the two issues in my mind, right? Before we talk about theology and his mission, right? And then I'm curious to see what you think. His zeal was not rigid. His zeal, his fire, was that which he loved. And therefore he was humble enough to have that burn for Jesus Christ when as a boy and a young man that would have been the last thing he would ever have thought and the second was that whole image of sight once Paul saw the truth then he never looked back so that blindness and coming to sight is really baptism is meant to enlightenment and baptism so I think in those two cases in those two characteristics every single Christian should have an examination of conscience right hmm in our own age and time. What is our heart burning on? What, what does it burn for? Do, how much do we really truly love this Jesus? How much are we willing to give up? And do we see the world in a new way because we love him? Right. right. What do you think? What's your takeaway? Just from 40,000 feet, you look at Paul of Tarsus. What's, what's, what, 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 what do you take away from it, Steve? To, to me, it's always been... Um that zeal that you mentioned, that you, that you just said, you know, and the, when I think of Paul's life, the first thing that always comes to my mind is when he writes to the Corinthians and he goes through that litany of trials that he, that he has been through, which uh, you were talking about, Your Excellency, where he was mm -hmm. you know, beaten and mm -hmm. shipwrecked and all that stuff. And then he also mentions this uh, persistent thorn in his flesh but then at the end of this whole long list of hardships, I'm blown away because after all of that, he writes that the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. And he's just, he's so faithful. It's just amazing. You know, I, uh, there's a line in St. Paul 
that I've come to, to deeply appreciate because of an experience I had in my own life. Um, I was ordained a priest in 1987, and one of my classmates from Rockville Center, Father Peter McKenna, um, had fallen gravely ill before his uh, diaconate ordination. And uh, the origin of that actually was on Palm Sunday morning when I was the head sacristan at the Immaculate Conception Seminary in Huntington, and Peter was one of the sacristans, and he complained that he could not feel a portion of his face. Oh, my gosh. But as it turns out, unbeknownst to him and of us, that he had contracted a form of cancer at the base of his brain that within just a few weeks was throughout his whole body. Oh, my word. Anyway. I remember receiving Peter's prayer card. Peter was ordained a priest in, uh, in Mercy Hospital by Bishop McGann in his hospital bed. And he died six days later on the day that I and my Brooklyn classmates were ordained priests. For Rockwell Center was always ordained a week before. So he died on the day I and my classmates were ordained. And I remember receiving Peter's prayer card. You know the cards you get when you're ordained. And he quotes St. Paul. And he says, for me, life is Christ and death is gain. Now, when I look and I reflect on Peter's life, Peter was a priest six days. All of them spent in a hospital bed a few of them in a coma. One could argue, what a terrible waste. But see, that's seeing things according to the world, that we're measured by the things we do or our own gifts and talents or how we change things, as if we matter for anything, which really we don't, but it is what it is, okay? right? We only matter because Christ lives in us. Right? Then we matter an infinite amount. And Peter, even though he's only a priest six days, has influenced the lives of tens of thousands of people, no less than the people going to hear his story even today on our podcast. Because in death, there is greater life. Paul knew that. Paul was searching for that his whole life. He was searching for a Messiah that would come to be triumphant. And he saw it in crucifixion because it's the victory of love over sin and death. It's not the victory over Caesar because Caesars come and go. They are in the end, in the history, we remembered for whatever they've done. But in eternal history, they will not be remembered. Mm. But the victory over sin and death will be. It's the heart of all. So, say, so Paul came to understand what true victory, what true life, what the true meaning of death. And, and Father Peter McKenna, my classmate, has forever changed my understanding because of his own faithful witness. Right? In his own priestly life, which was in this world brief, but in the scheme of eternity has eternal value, eternal effect. I'm sure when he saw St. Paul, please God, um, they had a lot to talk about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, uh, Paul, um, besides the fact that he's so relentless, and I mm -hmm. love towards the end of Acts when um, he's in Jerusalem and he gets put on mm -hmm. trial, he gets beaten, um, they mm -hmm. put him on trial, and then the mob grabs him, they almost beat him to death again, and, they, mm -hmm. and, and that night, Jesus appears to Paul and says, yeah, so what you just went through here in Jerusalem... I want you to go to Rome and do that again. And Paul right. gets up and, and goes to Rome. Right, right, right. And that's why I said what I said. Thank you. That's an excellent point. I had mentioned about his Roman citizenship. If you recall at that point, point in Acts, um, I forget exactly who it was now, but the uh, tribunal, the prefect, wanted to send him back to Jerusalem to be tried. And then he reverted to the privilege he had as a Roman citizen to be tried by Caesar, which then yes. put him on the same road that you just described, right, yes. to Rome, which eventually led 
tradition holds to his death. So that Roman citizenship, so mammon, if I could use that word, the world are used by God to glorify himself and to make his will known. And that's how Paul was able to go to Rome, because he was a Roman citizen. Right. Yeah, and about you know his... Mi- no, please. No, no, no. Go ahead, Excellency. You were going to mention his missionary journeys? Yes. Yeah. All, all three of them highlight more characteristics of this remarkable man. Remarkable. Right. So, let's talk about the first missionary journey. Um, it seems that Paul's base of operation was mostly in Antioch. It is, scripture says, the place where Christians took on the name Christian for the first time. Interesting. And scripture scholars tell us that in Antioch there was a community of Greek-speaking Jewish converts to Christianity. Again, the connection to speaking Greek. And Paul went from Antioch to Cyprus, Asia Minor, back to Antioch. And in that journey... Paul and Barnabas usually had a companion with him, right? Which yes. is, again, a beautiful image of what Christian life is meant to be. Right. Right. The Lone Ranger it doesn't exist in sacred scripture, right? It's always a community that does yes. what we have to do. Um, if you recall, Paul first went to the Jewish community to preach the gospel, and they basically told him to take a hike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he turned to the Gentiles to proclaim. Now, again, think of a devout Pharisee, a member of God's chosen people, those to whom the word of salvation was given and is still given, since God never repents of his promises or his covenant. To go to the Jews to proclaim that there is both a a Messiah and a Savior, right, for both groups, would have been prior to his conversion. It would be unthinkable. It would just be unthinkable. But he did it, which, which, which raises an insight about what Paul understood what to be what he understood about the offer of salvation and its universal offer to all people, how he would treat women, which he held them in high esteem, at least his co-workers, Aquila, Priscilla, all, I mean, again, it's a remarkable opening up of his understanding and had forever consequence because you know what? If Paul and Peter had not had their dispute, and it was not determined to allow the message of the gospel to have gone out to the Gentiles, you and I would not be sitting here. Chances are. How different that would have been for the world. But it was not God's will. God's will is the offer of salvation to all. And Paul was humble and wise and could see clear enough to go to move in that direction. So he is the apostle of the Gentiles, as he's known in the tradition. Is yeah. that, it's fasc- I find that to be fascinating. It's fascinating. And, you know, and that it's also along the lines of where he says, you know, I became all things to all men so mm-hmm. that, you know, so that he could spread the word. And I love that, um, that episode uh, when he lands in Athens and He's, uh, he finds the, uh, the altar to the unknown God among all the pagan altars. And mm-hmm. he says to the, to the people worshiping there, he says, hey, uh, you know what? I can tell you who that God is. I know who he is. He created everything and he doesn't live in shrines made by men. He, he's a man who has been raised from the dead. Right. right. And right. yeah. Yeah. It's, and are we not in the same place now? Yeah. Aren't many people searching for a God they can't name? A God they can't put a face to. But every human heart is designed to reach out. We're made, our hearts, St. Augustine, who was so profoundly affected by Paul. Our hearts are restless till they rest with thee, O God. Because we are incomplete 
without the indwelling of God? What's a glove worth without a hand? <laughs> has no purpose. Right? But it finds its purpose when a hand finds it and fills it and gives it mission and meaning. Is Arnold the same way with the indwelling yes. of God? And so, and so, so the Areopagus is where we are today. Yeah. And Paul can teach us how to help people to name for them the unnamed God. Right? It's interesting. It's fascinating yeah. stuff. And I think the Council of Jerusalem has a lot to teach us too. Because Paul's understanding of the law um, can help us to understand the proper place of the law, even in our own lives. Which is something that I think we all need to explore ever more deeply for ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a time like today when it feels like the law is... Mm-hmm. We, we need to be... We need to have more faith <laughs> and we need to <laughs> well uh, said, trust in. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, what a life. There's so much that we could talk about, but we, we only have so much time. We need to take a break. When we come back, uh, we will dive into the writings of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Hey all, we are back on Let Me Be Frank. Excellency, there's so much to talk about when we when we think about um, Paul's writings, and his yes. letters comprise about half of the New Testament. So, yep. since there's so much, you suggested that a good way to tackle it is is to look at things thematically. And um, mm-hmm. I guess uh, you were mentioning we should start at the Council of Jerusalem. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think two things about the writings we should remember. You're right, 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament are attributed to Paul in some way. It's remarkable, don't you think? It's half the canon. (laughs) (laughs) And the second thing that's remarkable is that they were written to communities, many of whom he founded. And they addressed practical issues that the communities were facing. Now, that's not much different from what we, we, we struggle with the practical issues of trying to be faithful to the Lord. So he was a shepherd, right? He was a pastor. And he loved these communities that he formed. So in a sense, Paul starts the tradition that the fathers of the church, when we get to them, and that is all of his writings were in service of his people. They're almost more sermons and pastoral exhortations than they are theological treatises. The epistle to the Romans is very, very well developed theologically. So I'm not minimizing that. But it was always at service to people's salvation. So we have to remember that. That's. But why I mentioned the Council of Jerusalem is because you remember at the heart of that debate were the what I'm going to call the ritual laws of being Jewish. Did men have to be circumcised first in order to become a follower of the Lord Jesus? And there was lots of people who said, oh, absolutely, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, so you can't, you can't leave some of the law behind. <laughs> Otherwise, right? So it seems kind of logical question to ask. And at the end of it, you know, there was that understanding that, they, no, they did not have to be circumcised, and they did not have to follow the kosher laws, which was like tremendous change but what but but in my mind at least it it raises an important question and that is paul grew to understand the difference between the ritual law and what i'm going to say the divine law that undergirds all of the law of israel and the ritual law to the extent that that would divide people he was willing to forego 
but not the divine law. So he does not repudiate the law at all. Nor would he ever, nor would any of the apostles. Because at the heart of the revelation, okay, of the covenant given is that this God has come to save his people. So in the end, if I were to pick the central theme, which is very hard thing to do, but in my mind, in St. Paul's writings, it is the charisma that I referred to. In the end, it's all about Christ's crucifixion, his death and resurrection, and his coming again in glory. That it's all about coming to faith in this fulfillment of the law who has come to save us. How? By forgiving our sins. How? By freely offering his life on the cross. Why? To atone for all the sins of humanity. So we say in that beautiful Eucharistic prayer, he became the priest, the victim, and the altar of sacrifice. Um, There was an altar of sacrifice in the temple. He becomes the enduring sacrifice. For his high priesthood, Hebrew says, never ends. Therefore, the one sacrifice is sufficient for all creation, for all eternity. So faith in this Jesus Christ is the fundamental starting point of Pauline theology. And and, and by his life, it's clear that is the significant piece. So um, for us, then, it's through baptism that we participate in all that Jesus has offered to us. Without baptism, we're dead in our sins. In baptism, we, as the fathers would say, building on Paul, we receive by adoption what Christ had in virtue of who he was and what he did for us. So, if I may, there's a beautiful image. I believe it's among the Amish. But I could be wrong. But there is a beautiful image, nonetheless, of the Trinity being depicted as three individuals dancing, stick figures almost, holding hands and hands. So you imagine a circle with three figures hand in hand. Now, that's a very rudimentary image, but what it says is that starting with the early church, we've come to understand God to be a community of divine persons. And salvation is the offer of entering into that community by by the grace of the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, you know how I image that is God puts us in the center of that circle by adoption. He is forever God, but we enter into the grace of sharing in the life of God. Now, St. Paul would not have been able to explain it in that detail, obviously, because he was so close to the mystery. But it's all there. The roots are all there because of his unquestionable, unyielding, without compromise, belief and faith in the death, resurrection, and the parousia, the second coming of the Savior, Messiah, whom he called Lord and Son of God. Period. Having given all of that, how many Christians in the world today have that same faith in the Messiah, Savior, Lord, and Redeemer? Okay, let's really think about that. And quite frankly, how many times have you and I and our listeners failed in that? or wanted or tempted to reduce Jesus to something less than who he really is. Because if we reduce him to less than who he is, then he doesn't have as much of a claim on us. But Paul saw the claim, knew the claim, accepted the claim, never wavered in the claim. So in my mind, that's the fundamental theological insight. Right? What do you think? Yeah, I, the um, 
the 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 discussion that Paul has about the law and faith, some um, Protestants take as uh, their uh, reasoning for their belief in sola fide, that works mm-hmm. don't matter. But but the way you're describing it is that Paul's discussion of that is not that works don't matter. It's that it's it has more to do with. Um, bringing Gentiles into the fold and the unity of the church, right? It's not, it's not that, because he does say, you know, that we need to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, right. So, you know, it's the old adage. Remember growing up, uh, this, this show gives you a glimpse of how I see the world. You know, people with angst. I remember in school said, you know, the chicken and the egg, which came first, the chicken and the egg. My philosophy <laughs> is, I don't care. I want chicken and eggs. We need both. That's it. <laughs> the end. Yeah. So it's not faith and works which comes first. It's, it's you can't have one without the other because yeah. one does not complete is not complete without the other. So this idea of this or that, oh come on, really? In in our lived experience, it's like saying right. you love your wife and never show it in works. Well, what does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If we right. live by the spirit, or, or, let us also walk by the spirit. Sure, but conversely, conversely though, one could argue, if you, you know, there's a, there's a, in dialect, in Italian dialect, from where my parents came from, there's a word, una parola, e si chiama, it's called le mosse. And le mosse is dialect to say, you know, it's all of the, of the, um, the nice actions that one lives in life to look good, but there's nothing behind them. Huh. So in a sense, our Protestant brothers and sisters do remind us that you can say of works without faith. They do not last. Right? That you yes. need to have a true faith in the Lord Jesus for those works to have eternal value. But conversely, the Catholic insight is but if you have faith that doesn't change your life, like Paul, knock you off your horse, and do, then to what eternal value will that have? What, what fruits will you bring to the Father in judgment? Yeah. Because our faith is given to us for our own salvation and to bring as many people along with us as we possibly can. Since it's a communal experience, Christianity. Right. We're a community, ecclesia, where, where the, those called forth. So... Yeah, I think it's, and therefore I must tell you that one of the sad legacies of Christian life is how St. Paul has been misunderstood and has been used in part to justify periodic and historic waves of anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish behavior among Christians, which is appalling and disgraceful, and sinful, and has no place in Christian life. Never has and never will. Because it's not understanding Paul correctly, and all who have come after him Mm -hmm. correctly. You know, um, a house can't stand without a foundation. And everything we believe in the Lord Jesus, okay, is comes to us from the very Jewish roots that Revelation began in, which is still enduring. And still. Yeah. So, you know, we've come 21 centuries and we still have a lot to learn. Yeah. What, what if you would, you were asked, Steve, what would be the one insight theologically of St. Paul? What would you say? Like, from your own experience, your prayer, your devotion, what would you say? Oh my gosh, I would. I would think I would go back to that. Um, let me think about this. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, right off the top of my head, Excellency, I would say I would go back to that verse from Philippians that was on the uh, on the funeral card for um, for the priest you were talking about Father earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean. In Paul's life and in his writings, that's to, to me anyway. That's the that's the the biggest theme there. 
What about Kenosis Hymn? That's um, the other passage, right? Every knee shall bend in the heavens, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's my Episcopal model. Hmm. Jesus Christ is Lord. It summarizes all of Christian faith. If one understands what that really means. So, so let's consider for a moment. For there to be a Messiah and Savior, Lord and Son of God, to enter into creation, there is the great mysterious emptying of the second person of the Blessed Trinity to come into creation. And therefore, he empties himself so that we who are so often empty might be filled. So I think of the water jars of Cana being filled to become water into wine at the Last Supper, wine to become his sacred body and blood. And therefore, Paul understood that this Messiah was intimately revealed in pain and suffering and self-emptying and humiliation at the hands of his creatures. Now, let's think about it. Honestly, you could spend an entire lifetime contemplating that. So you've heard me say before, we go through life and say, am I lovable, am I loved? which seems to be such a challenge for me, for you, for so many of us at different times in our life. Yet for God to do that, <laughs> it it's almost defies description and words. And he would do it for me. For me, for all of my faults and failings and my sins, he would do it for me. He would knock me off my horse even though I killed his followers. I was mechanically involved in the death of your disciples, you've got to be kidding that you still love me? I'm sure that haunted Paul. Why me? Well, because there's no, Augustine would say it's grace because he loves all of us. So, it, 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 for classic theists, God is above all his creation. So now to come into creation and to save us precisely in his death and resurrection is such a seminal thought in Christian life, but particularly for St. Paul, and how he came to appreciate it and, and, and live it in his own life um, is such a remarkable development because he was who he was, a faithful Pharisee follower of the law. Um, and again, I challenge myself and our listeners that how often do we allude to that in the life of Jesus and in our own lives? Right? That we have to follow the same way in the same steps. What a different world it would be if Christians actually lived that. All of us. All one point, I don't know, nine, ten, what is it, two billion Christians in the world. Could you imagine what the world would look like? Yeah, wouldn't be so full of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. <laughs> oh, another great Exactly. 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 Yeah, you always go back to Paul in the end, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he must have been really well-educated, Excellency, because his writing is so poetic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's oh, easy wow. to go back. Yeah. Yeah, and as a Pharisee, and he, of course, and he was probably very well educated. And, um, and I think he was ornery. <laughs> and I like ornery, because there's a part of ornery in me too. I mean, ornery not in a disrespectful sense, but, you know, just tell like it is, people. Uh, you yeah. know, every day is one day closer to judgment, so, so we got to stop wasting time here. Yeah. You know, and Paul, I'm sure when he got, when he regained his sight, was baptized... He must have been filled with this, uh, uh, I have no time to waste. 
Yeah. First to make up for what I did, but quite frankly, just to, to let this message out. I mean, think of all the travels. I mean, this is literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of miles in three missionary journeys. I mean, just the stamina, the passion, the zeal to do this. Yeah. It's just remarkable. It's just honestly remarkable. Right. And even after he leaves and a place. I'll tell you. I'm sorry, go mm -hmm. ahead. No, no. After he leaves his place, yes. And? Yeah. He, he, he's still thinking about those communities and those churches that he set up, which is why he's writing all these letters, as you said earlier. So he's, mm -hmm. he's in one place. He's uh, preaching and working with them there. And he's still writing mm -hmm. to places where he's been, taking care of them still. Mm -hmm. The shepherd mm -hmm. that you said. Mm -hmm. Almost the image is a spiritual father and mm -hmm. children. So you, you, you establish your children and they develop a life of their own, but no parent is really who's worth his or her weight. Never going to be far away. In thought, mm -hmm. in prayer, in letter, in his day, in letter, now we email, we text, we do. But you're always going to stay in contact. Imagine St. Paul texting this. <laughs> if you were alive today, he'd be doing everything. Every platform yeah. you could, he put us to shame, you and I to shame. <laughs> he would right. use every available, conceivable platform to preach the gospel. Right? Uh, and yet, in the way he did it, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let us make no mistake, my friend, he will touch far more lives than you and I and everybody else on the blogosphere combined, no matter what technology can create. Yeah. Hmm? What, what else, what crosses your mind? Anything I, else I love, strikes you? Yeah, I love Excellency. Um, his, uh, his constant, or maybe not constant, but feels to me like constant, uh, use of athletic and military metaphors. And he tells us to share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Um, I fought the good I fight. The race. Yes. Put on the whole armor of God. Right, right. right. And St. Paul is the one who says that we, we struggle. If I'm, or I think it's St. Paul who, who speaks about uh, uh, running the race to get a crown that will wither. But we run now. Yes. Right. To earn the crown that will last forever. I'm yes. paraphrasing, of course. Yep. Right. Yeah, well, that would have been his age, right? It's, it's part of Greek culture, no? Yeah. Yeah. What was, yeah. What was church for the Greeks? The gymnasium. The, the games? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the gym. It was the best. Now, honestly, in our own age, <laughs> what goes around comes around. I'm, this is a sad thing to say, but I wondered to myself, on a Sunday morning, there were more Christians at the gym than there are in church. Right? So, so the metaphors are even more powerful in our own age. So, yeah. what, so what are you running on the treadmill for if you're not running the race for Jesus Christ? Yeah. The treadmill leaves you in the same place. That's right. That's <laughs> and the right. race for Jesus Christ brings you to the glory of eternal victory. Yeah. Yeah, a man for, we call Thomas More a man for all seasons, right? But I yes. think uh, St. Paul is equally a man for all seasons at all times. Mm -hmm. And for him, with all that he did, all the traveling, all the suffering, all the preaching, and he still uh, wrote, you know, that um, I'm, I'm still pummeling my body and subduing it for fear that after preaching to others that I myself might be disqualified. He was always working on his salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. Makes me worried yeah. about myself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is noble advice for everyone who is in ministry. It's the line from Saint Matthew, the eighth chapter. What profit out of the Lord's own mouth? What profit does a man show if he gains the whole world and loses himself in the process? My spiritual director once told me to write that above my bed. Hmm. Because it is essential for everyone in ministry to make sure that that does not happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 
And and the other thing too about Saint Paul is Paul drew very had a very close relationship with many women who he considered his co-workers in ministry. And even though there are passages in St. Paul's writings that are often quoted as being very traditional, particularly in marriage, in the role of women in marriage, I do think it's an injustice to see Paul solely in those passages without seeing in his life how he treated women with great dignity, gave them a huge share in his ministry and mission, and he relied on them tremendously. Without them, he could not have done what he did. So again, like everything else, we have to see the whole picture to understand the man and who he really was. And going back to our last episode, when we spoke about Christianity and how it had explosive growth, in part that happened because the early Christian communities, apart from their pagan co-citizens, Christians treated women with far greater dignity than other cultures in the society in general. Right. Which is something we need to learn and think about ourselves in our own age, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With with all, with all people in all stages, not just Absolutely. men or women. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. So let's. Well, um, I'm on fire. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna carry that fire over through to the other side of the break. So we're gonna take a break here. When we come back, we'll we'll uh, have uh, you answer. Some questions, Excellency. Great, great. Thanks, Steve. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, we're at the portion of the show where we answer listener questions, but if you'll permit me, Your Excellency, I'd like to ask you a question this week. And Whoa, I, I know I get to... take a vote. Let's take a vote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I vote yes. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I get to ask you questions all the time, but this one uh, is unrelated to our topic. And so I just wanted to ask you, last Friday... The, uh, the U.S. and Canada consecrated to Mary. And so I just wanted to ask you, you know, really, what does this mean and what effects uh, should, should we expect from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a beautiful moment of grace. It was the bishops of the United States and the bishops of Canada simultaneously reconsecrating both countries to the protection of Our Lady. And as everyone knows, Our Lady is already the patroness of the United States under the title of the Immaculate Conception. And if one could say the the church's church is the Basilica, the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, where Mary is depicted in, oh, I think over 70 some odd different titles, could even be more than that. So we will already dedicated to her. She is our patroness. But the re-consecration does a number of things. First, it reminds reminds us of what already exists. Because we're forgetful and we become lax. Secondly, re-consecration is to consecrare, to be made holy, to be set apart. And therefore, we ask Our Lady's intercession to allow the grace already in our hearts to to gain greater fruit, greater root. So she prays on our behalf. That grace is there from baptism, even despite our sinfulness. And to the extent that you and I may be guilty of sin, then the reconsecration is a call to repentance, right, and conversion is another benefit of it. But it also pleads for protection. So Our Lady is there. Okay. And when I was growing up, I knew my parents were there. And I always knew I could ask for particular help when I needed it. So this is what we did on Friday for particular help in this time of pandemic. 
in this time of financial hardship for many, in the time of isolation and fear. We're asking that the protection we always have, that Our Lady give us a greater share of that protection, intercession, maternal love and affection. So it's a reminder, it's a, a call to greater holiness, it's a petition to Our Lady to be, to be of even greater help to us. So there are many spiritual fruits that come from it. And I'm delighted that Italy did it, England did it, we did it, Canada did it, um, the bishops in, the, in Asia did it. So we're slowly reconsecrating the whole world to Our Lady. Yeah, So beautiful. Uh, so I hope that answers the question, but... Yes, it does. And, and so then we as um, American Catholics, is there anything we should be doing on a regular basis going forward? Well, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of the daily recitation of the rosary should be, I would think, considered by every Catholic Christian to be part of his or her normal prayer routine. And many times, if you're spending more than 25 minutes in the car, 20 minutes in the car, the rosary, instead of listening to nonsense, the rosary could be a wonderful, quiet time of reflection in the car if you have a life that's busy, which many of us do. But I think developing a relationship with Our Lady naturally, logically, consequentially opens the door to developing a deeper relationship with her son. Yeah. Moon and the sun, right? No yeah. moonlight without the sun, but the moon reminds us that there is a sun and that the sun is there. Same thing here. So I would recommend, particularly in the month of May, every Christian who's Catholic, and even those who are not Catholic, should be praying uh, in a particular way for the intercession of Our Lady. I could think of no better way than the rosary. Yeah. It does, it's quick, too. I mean, it's, it doesn't take that long. When, when we first started doing it as a family, the first few nights, the kids were like, what? We got to sit down for all this time together and do the rosary? But, you know, it's for us, maybe we're going too fast, but it's 15 minutes. And, and the kids yeah, all actually, minutes. yeah. And, and they ask for it now when, we, when, you know, time's ticking and we haven't done it yet. Oh, are we going to do the rosary tonight? So Isn't that great? It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, remember, the rosary's purpose is to meditate on the mysteries of the life of Jesus, essentially. Right. So, yes. She's, she's the window, as you mentioned a few weeks ago. She's the window that points to, to Jesus. And may I just share one last thing before we end. Since going to the Holy Land, what usually conjures up in my mind, the image that's pictured in my mind when I pray the rosary, are the very holy sites I've seen now twice. So the Grotto of the Ascension, the Church of the Agony, the stone that tradition holds Jesus knelt before, uh, Calvary, the Holy Sepulchre, the Upper Room, Cana, um, the Mount of the Transfiguration, I keep going on and on, Bethlehem. Uh, yeah. Those are the images that come to mind. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, uh, Steve, it's yes. great to be with you. Yes, and... If you're listening out there, we want to hear from all of you. I will read your questions to Bishop Frank, I promise. So send in your questions for the bishop on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Yeah, this was, this was fun, Bishop Frank. Thank you for another fantastic week. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Wow, talking about one of my favorite figures in all of history is always yeah. fun for me, at least. <laughs> Uh, thank you, as always, to our sponsor, the Knights of Columbus Museum in New Haven, offering a journey through history, art, and faith. Please check out the museum's online programs. Information is at kofcmuseum.org. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. Lord our God, with gratitude in our hearts, we come to you through intercession of St. Paul, that you send your Holy Spirit to bless and guide us during these challenging times, that with zeal and passion of heart, with conviction of mind, and with a generous spirit, we may be the messengers of glad tidings that Christ has died 
that Christ has risen and he will come again in glory. And we ask you, Father, to bless us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, God bless. See you next. See you next week. Thank you. See you next week.